As many, if not most all of you know, I've coached junior high and high school cross country for many, many years. I also believe that many of you know, at least to some extent, that junior high and high school students really don't always think things through. True? All right. For example, before cross-country meets, we're often waiting, you know, to go up to the line, and we're there quite a bit early, so they don't have a whole lot of stuff to do. I would constantly have to remind the team that running around playing ultimate frisbee, chasing each other around, or eating junk food is not really a good thing to do when you have to run in a race in about 20, 30 minutes. Those are not good things to do when you're getting ready to compete. Team members often didn't realize there were appropriate times to be silly and mess around, and we had a lot of fun doing that. But there were, <coughs> excuse me, but there were also uh, times focused and to be serious and to be sober. That's that kind of the right with all of life. There's times when we can have fun. There's times when we can enjoy being around uh, each other and just being silly, and, and, but there's also times when we need to be serious. However, there was always one specific set of times every season where I never had to remind them to get serious. It was during these times I virtually never had to tell them to knock anything off and get their head in the game. What were those times that happened every season? When they stepped up to the starting line. It all stopped. In fact, sometimes there would be first that first picture there. Hundreds of runners on the line. What do you see about every single one of those high school runners? Are they jumping around? Are they being silly? Huh? Yeah, they're getting ready to hurt. All right. But then you see this. A little bit smaller. What do you see when all of those high school boys? A focus. They weren't messing around. I didn't have to remind them. And this even happened at the junior high level. Here you have a junior high. What do you see? How many of these junior high times have you seen junior hires be that focused? All right. Why? Because they seem to realize that stepping up to that line, it was time to get the job done. It's time to be serious. It's not time to be silly. It's time not to joke. It's not time to get distracted by everything else going on around them. It's time to race. In a similar way, I believe it's a time for Christ followers of all ages to understand this. To lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance. There's that idea that this is a long-distance race, the race that is set before us. It is time for us in our day and age at this time for us to get up to the line, to be serious, to be focused, because we have a mission to do. We have a job to do. In other words, it's time to get focused and race the race God has called each one of us to do. Our study in the church in Acts has revealed to us that the mission of Christ followers is to be His witnesses. And we are to run that race above all other races in our lives. We all now know that is our mission, that is our mission but sometimes we need to be encouraged uh, when the racing gets tough. I believe our study of Acts 16 this morning will encourage us to stay focused in our race as obedient witnesses of Jesus Christ because it is through our witness, it is through our doing what God has asked us to do that God will change lives. 
You see, that's our primary race goal, our primary mission, is to let God use us to change lives. All the other stuff that we do, all the other things that we uh, put importance on are secondary to God using us and our witness of Jesus Christ to change lives. It is through our witness He changes hopelessness into hope. He changes sorrow into joy and He changes death into life. Acts 16 is an encouraging chapter because it tells us about three lives that are drastically changed because of Paul and Silas' obedience to God's command to run the race of being witnesses for Jesus Christ. Let's take a minute and pray that God would open our hearts and our minds. Father God, we bow before you and we know that we need your help. We need your spirit to guide and lead us to understand what you would have your word to teach us this morning. Father, I pray that uh, other distractions would be laid aside. I pray that uh, what else is going on in every area of life would be laid aside so that we can right now come to your word and be encouraged about what happens when you change lives through our witness. Father God, thank you for everybody that's here. Thank you that we have a chance to be together in Christ's name. Amen. So let's review just for a minute. As we continue our study next, we find Paul and his companions are still in the city of Antioch. And that was in chapter 15, that they had returned from their missionary journey and shared uh, with that Antioch church the tremendous work that God was doing among the Gentiles. While in Antioch, Paul and Silas were also involved in a church disagreement about, or uh, excuse me, Barnabas, were also involved in a church disagreement about what the gospel really is. A church delegation was sent from Antioch to Jerusalem to work through this disagreement, and they came back with some really, really good news. Gentile believers did not have to go through the door of Judaism to be saved. Amen? Why is that so important? Because we're all Gentiles. We're the ones that ha- that was good news for. We don't have to become... Jewish proselytes, all we have to do is have faith in Jesus Christ. Please follow along as I kind of read some of this. In Acts chapter 15, we're going to look at, uh, at the end of Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. Things are getting ready to change. They're getting ready to leave Antioch. All along, starting in verse 36. After some days, Paul and Barnabas, uh, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take. Uh, not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there rose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Chapter 16, verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. 
And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And when they had gone through the, when the, went the, and when they had went through the region of uh, Phygia and Galatia, they had been having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared uh, to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, "Come over to Macedonia and help us." And Paul, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately. Uh, he, we, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love Paul's pastoral heart here. He loves the churches that God had blessed them with during the first missionary journey. And he wants to visit them and uh, make sure they are thriving. And Paul is ready to start what is now known as the second missionary journey. He has three. This is the second during the planning of this journey, Paul and Barnabas have a significant disagreement, which we've already read about. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him, and Paul said no because John Mark had deserted them on the first missionary journey. Their disagreement was a sharp one, and that sadly ended up with Paul and Barnabas splitting up and going in different directions. They never again would work together from that time. There's been a lot of discussion about who was wrong in this disagreement, but I believe getting bogged down in that discussion leads us to miss the bigger picture here. That disagreement led there to being two separate missionary endeavors instead of one. Two teams ended up going out to check on the young churches. Two teams would double the gospel witness going out from the Antioch church. Even when difficult situations like the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas seemed to interfere with the mission of being gospel witnesses, God uses those situations for His glory and His witness. Instead of just one team going out, we have two teams going out to separate areas. Amen? By the way, I want you to know that the relationship between these men repaired later on. Paul spoke very well of Barnabas in his letter to the Corinthians, uh, in his first uh, letter to the Corinthians, what we know as 1 Corinthians. And we also see Paul saying this about Mark in, in uh, Timothy, when he wrote to Timothy. Luke is alone, alone is with me. Get Mark, that's John Mark. Bring him with you, for he is what? Very useful. So sometime in, the, in, in between when this disagreement happened and Timothy was um, written to by Paul, the, uh, Paul had wanted to start ministering with John Mark. It's a testament to God's grace when His people were able to show grace and mercy towards one another, even in sharp disagreements. What an example these men set for their churches and all those Christ followers who would eventually follow in their footsteps. So much of the time, we see churches and we see people being split, never to get back together, having a, 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 a hard hearts to, towards one another for years and years and years. But we see here that Paul and Barnabas and Mark had, got, had repaired their relationship and were all in ministry together again. Amen? What an example that is. As Luke moves on uh, in his uh, history here, we find that Paul uh, and Silas now are leaving, and we've already seen that. And we see that Timothy joins the team. We see that in verse, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, which we already read. 
What I love in these verses is we see a young man maturing in his faith within the church. It is so important for our church, for Sardis Baptist Church, to pray diligently for and work with our youth so they can, become, and so they can follow in Timothy's footsteps. Timothy was a young man in his late teens, maybe early 20s, when Paul comes back into Lystra and Derby. Uh, Timothy was probably saved uh, through Paul's ministry the first time through. So here's a young man who had, was well spoken of by the church. He had grown in his faith. Uh, we know that Timothy was not some super spiritual, uh, uh, you know, older teen young man here because we find in, in, in his letters, in Paul's letters to Timothy, that Timothy probably had some issues. He wasn't a perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But here was a man, a young man, that the church came to Paul and said, you need to consider this young man. And Paul ended up wanting to take him with. I want to ask, I want to tell everybody here, I want to remind everybody here who would consider themselves young men and young women. women. Now, I won't set the age date on, or the ages on that. You guys can all decide that on your own. All right? But if you are a young man or a young woman, let me ask you a question. In reality, in reality, could a church recommend you, because of your faith and your walk, to Paul to take on a ministry? Are you growing in that? Are you maturing in that? Is that a goal? Is that something that your heart's desire, that you want to be uh, such a young man or a young woman, that you want to grow up, all right, and you want to be used by God to change people's lives? Or are you just walking each and every day, doing what you want to do, uh, building up this world's riches, only to find that they're all going to disappear? We can have, uh, it's, it's a joy to live in, in our culture, amen? It's a joy to have the things that we have, and those things are not wrong, until they get in the way of our mission of being witnesses until they get in the way of our young men and our young women uh, not wanting to be witnesses and wanting to live like the world. We need to pray as a church that every, you need to have a list of every child, every young person in this church, you need to have that list on your table, on your refrigerator, and praying through it that God would touch their hearts and draw them to Himself and save them for a tremendous witnessing ministry. And so often we wonder why our young men and young women don't do this, why they walk away from the church, why they walk away from Jesus Christ. It's because we don't invest in them, we don't pray for them, we don't care enough about them. They need to be prayed by, for by every person that is a member of Sardis Baptist Church. Let me encourage the young men and young women here that you start praying that God would grow you spiritually prayer is a place to start because none of us can grow spiritually grow in faith and be a witness without god's help it is not something that we just pick ourselves up with by our bootstraps it is something that we need god's help with and prayer is the starting place in this passage some uh, accuse paul of being inconsistent here because he wanted timothy to be circumcised when he had fought against uh, circumcision at the jerusalem council but for the sake of time this morning, I'm going to fall back on that uh, statement that has been often used um, during this series. If you want to find out about how Paul was not consistent and he was wise, come to Sunday school. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks, all right? So, <coughs> excuse me. So, uh, if you're interested in, how, in that, 
come to Sunday school and we'll talk through how Paul was not being inconsistent. And so, um, notice again at the end here, all right, of chapter 15, or at the, excuse me, at the, uh, in chapter 16, in verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers. And so Paul and Barnabas have picked up Timothy. They're going through the, the, the uh, area, uh, strengthening the churches. They're still growing. And now, Paul wants to move someplace else. Take a look at uh, chapter 16, verse 6 again. And they went through the region of uh, Phygia and Galatia, and having been forg- forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the, speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Here we see Paul saying, okay, I've visited the churches. I want to go someplace else. I want to. So he tries to go west into Asia, all right? But God had other plans and stopped him. And then he says, okay, I'm going to go north. And so he starts going north, and God stops him from going north. And we have to understand something, that that area north is going to become a very, very important place for the church. Because going north, where God had stopped him, think about this. God stopped Paul from going north. But in the north, eventually, we would see churches like Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Sardis, Pergamum, and Thyatira. All of them would be in that area that God said, Paul, don't go right now. God had another plan. And his plan was, he was going to give them an open door to Europe. Why are we really, really excited about that open door to Europe? Why are we excited about that? For all of you history buffs up there, out, out there, out there, why are we excited about this door being open to Europe? Where do you think we, our history lies from? Europe. Our history, our legacy, that people coming, uh, Paul's ministry going into Europe, expanding through Europe, and then coming across to the United States, that's our legacy. After passing through Phygia, uh, the Phygian and Galatian regions, Paul decided to move, but God said no. With nowhere else to turn, they went to Troas. This is where Paul was from. And God gives Paul what? A vision. It's called the Macedonian vision. And this vision was of a man saying, come and minister to us. Man, don't I wish... That every single one of us, when we had a question of where God wants us to witness, that we would all have visions like this, right? All right, but it would also be scary, wouldn't it? You're, you're, you're sleeping there one night, and God has a vision and says, okay, starting today, I want you to be primarily a witness at your work, no matter what it costs you. Wow. Sometimes when we wish this would happen, if we kind of look at it, it might be kind of scary. But Paul, in his typical fashion, didn't waste any time. Look at what happened immediately in Acts 16.10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. What excitement Paul and his team must have experienced. God was helping them obey his command, which we are familiar with this verse, to be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and where? To the end of the earth. Europe, at this point in time, was the end of the earth. A whole brand new door was opening for Paul. I want you to notice something else. 
Okay? Look at verse 10 of Acts 16. Verse 10 of Acts 16. And when Paul had seen the vision, we sought to go to Macedonia. What is the change there? Who, he not only picked up Timothy, but who else is with him right now? Luke is. Luke has joined the team. Luke is recording this in, uh, as a history, and he says, now we are going. So they have picked up Luke. The door has been opened to Europe, and we have now arrived at the most encouraging section of a, of a most encouraging section of God's Word. A portion of God's Word that clearly reminds us that God uses our witness to change people's lives for all of eternity. We're not just changing their lives because we feed them at Good Shepherd. We're not just changing their lives because we uh, go and help them build a ramp or we minister their children. We witness and change lives because we want to see their lives change for all of eternity, not just for this world. And in this passage, we're going to see how God used Paul and his team to change three lives for eternity. Three lives are going to be changed for all of eternity. Look at chapter 16, verse 11. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, Salmonthrace, and following the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were supposed, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One uh, who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Who is the woman? The first life changed? Lydia. I like that name for some reason. It's a really special name for me. I, I don't know why. Um, it has something to do maybe with my granddaughter. Uh, but we have Lydia here. This missionary team arrives in Philippi. And this is the same city that Paul writes uh, the, the letter that we know of as Philippians to at a later time. It was Paul's practice when he arrived a new, to a new ministry area to bring the gospel first into a Jewish synagogue. But apparently, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> apparently this city didn't have enough of a Jewish population uh, to have its own synagogue. And there, when there wasn't enough Jewish men to establish a synagogue, it was common practice for the Jews of that day to establish a regular place of prayer where they could come throughout the day because God had set up certain days or certain times throughout the day that they were supposed to pray. And so here, Paul, on the Sabbath, does not have a synagogue to go into to open up this ministry area. But Paul and his team went outside the city searching for this place of prayer. Uh, they had assumed there'd be one because he knew there was a, somewhat of a Jewish population. And he finds them alongside the river, a gathering of women. And Luke focuses our attention on this woman named Lydia. It seems here we find out quite a bit about Lydia, that she was a quite a successful Gentile businesswoman. She was a seller of purple clothing. And we have to understand that the purple, uh, color purple was difficult to find in those days. It would be quite expensive and usually only uh, reserved for royalty or city elites. It was not a normal color. And so for her, uh, this color was, uh, uh, was often uh, found in the area of Thyatira. This is where she came from. So she was probably uh, attached to a, a company or to someone who was selling and making the purple in Thyatira. And they sent her to be their representative uh, there in uh, 
there in uh, wherever that was, uh, Macedonia in, Phil- in Philippi, and it seems that she was quite successful. She apparently had a large house because she invited the whole missionary team, everybody, the whole missionary team, okay, uh, was invited to her house as she was going to house them while they were doing their ministry there. That was really odd because most people did not have houses big enough to do this. And so what this tells us is that she was quite well off. We don't know anything about her husband. We don't know if she was married at this point in time, but we do know that she was quite prosperous. Luke also points out that she was a worshiper of God, which is a way of saying that she was a follower of the Jewish God, just like Cornelius was. She wasn't a full Jewish proselyte, but she believed in the Jewish God. So Paul comes in, sits down, and starts speaking to this group of women. God opens Lydia's heart to understand the gospel that Paul was speaking about. Look at that in chapter 16, chapter, verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And I don't want any of us to miss a very, very encouraging point here. This is something that that can really encourage us in our witness. We are only called to be witnesses of the gospel as we run the race that God has played out for all of us. That is our mission It is not our mission to save those we witness to. Only God can open a person's heart to understand the gospel, and he did that here with Lydia. Paul was being faithful. Silas was being faithful. The team was sitting there talking to them, uh, uh, explaining who Jesus Christ was and and the good news of his gospel. And God touches Lydia's heart and opens it for her to understand. Sometimes we can be discouraged when we witness, and it doesn't seem that anyone ever listens In fact, it often seems that most people just want to leave us alone when we try to witness to them, amen? It's hard, especially with people we know in workplaces and jobs uh, and in family. We try and we try and we want to be a witness, and it seems like they just have this stone wall that goes up. But here we find encouragement, not just because Lydia has her heart open by God to understand the gospel, because we know that from our studies in Acts that even Paul had experienced much much difficulty when he presented the gospel. We already know that Paul had been put into prison. We already know that Paul had been stoned because of his ministry. And so Paul's ministry was not one of just everything going well. And here we have God blessing Paul's ministry, blessing his uh, witness with a woman, with a woman, Lydia. Her heart was open to the gospel and she accepted it. Rejection will be part of the race that you and I run. Difficult times will be part of the race that you and I win or run. But I want you to understand something. God will change people's lives when we obey His command to witness. Sometimes it'll be quick. Sometimes it'll be uh, lengths of times when, that do, when we don't uh, see God changing lives. But I'm going to promise you something. If we are faithful witnesses, God will change lives for eternity and use you and use me and use our ability to witness to them to do that. There is nothing else more important or more exciting or more satisfying than to have God change a person's heart for all of eternity because of our witness. And we see that, that Paul is, and his team have been blessed by God here. I want you to understand something. Lydia, as far as we know, was the very first church member of the church of Philippi. 
Talk about church planning. He comes in, sits down, Lydia gets saved. We also understand that uh, even though I say three people's lives are changed, it's actually more than that because Lydia's family, what? They also become believers. The church is already growing. And, and, and Paul, this is just so cool. This is just so wonderful. Paul, look at how he writes uh, to the Philippian church later on. Remember, this is the beginning of the Philippian church. And listen to what Paul says. Therefore, my brothers, he, this is in Philippians, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm uh, thus in the Lord, my beloved, my joy and my crown. Had God tremendously blessed Paul and his missionary team, with a growing and healthy church. Amen. This would have never happened if Paul had not done what God wanted him to do and been a witness where God could change Lydia's heart. Not only that, we find that, that Paul was continually, uh, they, he was very proud of them. He was uh, happy uh, of what the church had become. We also understand, okay, that this church supported Paul. Look at what it says in chapter 4 of Philippians. Yet, it was kind of you, he's talking to the Philippians, uh, this church that he's starting here, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Who blessed Paul because of his ministry in Philippi? The church. Throughout all of Paul's ministry, the Philippian church supported Paul. Amen? Talk about a blessing. Paul is not done suffering for the gospel. Paul is not done having difficulties for the gospel, which we're going to see here in a minute. But we understand that this is the impetus right now for many, many years of relationship with many people who came to Christ because Paul witnessed to a woman named Lydia along a riverbank one Sabbath because there was no synagogue. God can do the same thing in our hearts, in our lives. Somebody that you wouldn't even think that you would be able to have God uh, lead to Christ through your witness. And thinking about all the, all the, the, the things and the blessings that can, can come from you being used by God to change that person's life. We so often miss out on what Paul experienced with this church because we get distracted from the race God has called us to. Let me encourage you to stay focused in your race. Be that witness God has asked you to be, knowing that great blessings will follow and that God can also use you to change lives just like He did Lydia's life. And understand something. Lydia's life changed, her family's life changed because of Paul's witness. Many hundreds of people in the city of Philippi, their lives were changed because of Paul's and his missionary team's witness. We see the next life that God uses Paul to change is a demon-possessed slave girl. A demon-possessed slave girl. Look at chapter 16, verse 16. As we are going to the place of prayer, do we all know where that's at? It's alongside the river, right? This is a normal thing that they're doing every day, okay? Uh, we were met by a slave girl who had the spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. Basically, what she was, she was in, um, um, indwelt or she was possessed by a demon, uh, Verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her own owner saw that their hope of 
gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city and they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. I want... Notice the change here. We have Lydia, a fairly uh, wealthy woman who is uh, what we would consider kind of normal, right? She had a house. She, she, was, uh, 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 she loved Paul and his team and invited them in. And they had great ministry with her and they had great fellowship with her. She was a Gentile woman. And here we have, on the opposite end of the spectrum, a demon-possessed slave girl. Even though the description of the slave girl is brief, don't miss how bad this girl's life was. Her life is exactly the opposite, like I said, of Lydia's. This girl is a slave. She has no rights of her own. She was the property of owners owners who were at her expense, at the expense of her demon possession, were getting extremely wealthy. The Greek word here for fortune-telling gives us insight to what kind of life she lived. We don't get it. We don't pick it up in the, in the English. It just says that she was a, a fortune teller. But basically, the Greek word is the word that we get manic from. That word manic. We often hear about manic depression. Whenever we use that word manic about our lives, is it ever positive? No. And when we say, have this idea of manic in the English language, we understand that this is way along the side. These people are not doing well when they're manic. The base of the Greek word for fortune telling is manic. And basically what uh, Luke is telling us that when she would would be, uh, uh, the demon would speak through her, she went into a manic state. She went into a frantic state. She was unstable. This was the girl's life. She was a slave girl. No rights of her own. She was being abused by her, her owners, getting rich at her expense, and she had to deal with being possessed by a demon. How bad was this, young, this girl's life? Terrible. Nothing like Lydia's. Nothing like Lydia's. During their ministry and going down uh, often to pray, this demon um, started to Quote, look at what it said. Look at what in verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. At, 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 at first glance, some would say, well, Why is this a problem? Is she speaking truth? Is, it, is this demon speaking truth through this slave girl? Absolutely. She even uses, uh, the demon even uses one of the highest Jewish terms when it comes to, the, to God, the most high God, the God that is over all other gods. Satan's demon is speaking the truth. Was this a problem? Why would it be? She's speaking the truth. But this was Satan's attempt to infiltrate a very young and infant church. New believers would hear this woman proclaiming the same truth as Paul. Well, she's saying the same thing Paul was. Absolutely. Paul was going to leave. This woman was known 
People understood that, that she could tell the future. And when Paul would have left, here's a woman who is speaking and preaching and saying the exact same things that Paul was. And when Paul would leave, this would be a way for this woman and her owners to get in the church, speaking the truth, but leading the church down a way of destruction. It was Paul, it was, it was Satan's way of destroying an infant church. Getting Satan, getting, getting people to say that this woman was teaching the same thing that Paul was. Paul stopped this, protected the church, and changed this slave girl's life by delivering her from a demon. Many commentators, and I'm not sure where I stand on this at this point in time, but many commentators believe that her deliverance was more than just from the demon. They believe she became the second member of the Philippian church. They believe once delivered from the demon, she also came to know Christ. I can see the reasoning behind that. I'm not, the text isn't as clear as we would like it to be. I can't say for sure that that's what happened, but we do know that her life was drastically changed because Paul's witness of the truth of Jesus Christ. Her life changed because of Paul's witness. The power of God is on display here. There is no one too bad or whose life is so wrapped up in Satan's schemes that God cannot use, God cannot use His people to change their lives through their witness. There is nobody you know there is nobody uh, in the streets. There is nobody too drunk. There is nobody too hooked on anything else of this world that is outside of the power of God to change their lives through your witness. Nobody. And so many times we get discouraged because nothing seems to change. Nothing seems to change with the people that we love dearly or that we care for dearly. But we need to understand, we witness God makes alive. We witness to, the, to who Jesus Christ is. God is the one who brings change. And there is nobody outside of His power to do that. Don't give up on anybody. Don't stop ever witnessing to anybody, no matter where they're at, no matter how drugged out they are, no matter what's happening in their lives, you be that faithful witness. You run the race where God has said and placed you in the context of your life and put that person in your life. And you say, I'm going to be a witness to them. I don't care if it takes 15 years. I'm never going to back off of them because God can change them when He chooses. It is my calling to be a witness for Him and I will not stop. We get scared of, of family members because we're afraid that they're going to abandon us or we're, we're, um, they're, they're going to be able to uh, outspeak us or we can't have uh, the right answer. If you have somebody that you know of right now in your family that you're not sure is saved, you have been placed in their life to be a witness for Jesus Christ no matter what the situation is. It's not your job to change their lives. It is your job to be a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter who we come into contact with, no matter what their life is like today, God can work through us and our witness to free them from the bonds of Satan and his sin. There's never reason for us to be timid. A bold witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is needed in this world, and we need to step up, and we need to run the race, we need to look at what the goal God has set before us, and we need to be bold witnesses we understand nothing is too powerful. No one is too far gone for God to change. 
This slave girl's deliverance also brought great trouble into Paul and Silas's life. The merchants now did not have all the income that they were used to because of her. They made a great deal of money off of her demon possession, and now she was no longer demon-possessed. And they illegally attacked Paul and Silas and brought them before the magistrates who had beaten them and thrown them in prison. Their witness of Jesus Christ caused them great distress. Their witness for Lydia did not cost them anything. It was tremendous blessing. For years, the Philippian church would support them and love them and care for them. There was a completely different situation here because Paul and Silas and his missionary team had gotten in the way of men who were abusing this slave girl. They paid a tremendous cost. We understand that uh, from, from reading here, that they were beaten, this would have left permanent scars. They were thrown into prison. And we find out later on that they were, this was completely illegal for them, for the people and the magistrates to do. Later on, that magistrates had to apologize. But what we find out is that even in this circumstance, even in this illegal, unfair beating and imprisonment, God still changes lives through our witness. And that's when we come to the jailer. Let's read about the jailer starting in verse 19, chapter 16, verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope had gained was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them uh, to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and are disturbing our city. They're advocating customs that are not lawful for us um, as Romans to accept or practice. And the crowd joined in attacking, and the magistrates tore their garments off of them and gave orders to, be beat, to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison and ordered, here we go, the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into inner, into inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. This is so hard for me to grasp. And I would hope and pray that I would be able to be like Paul and Silas here. Because remember, they are where they're at. They are hurting. They are locked in stocks. They have been beaten. They have been accused illegally. And what are they doing at midnight? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to. What were they doing? Even in that situation... They could not be distracted from the race that God had asked them to run. And they were being witnesses of Jesus Christ even when they were unfairly imprisoned and beaten with rods when they shouldn't have been. And they were so focused on God and what they were, don't, we have to understand something. It says that the other prisoners heard them. We find out later that an earthquake comes and opens all the doors. How loud did they have to be singing in the inner dungeon to be able to have all the prisoners hear them this wasn't some little prayer meeting off to the side bemoaning what had happened to them oh lord why is this happening help us this was we're going to praise and we're going to honor and we're going to lift up the name of jesus christ and we want everybody no matter what our situation is to hear it oh how we need this in our lives to stop thinking about our situations, to stop wondering about our situations and how bad we have it and how it's not fair. And when we get to that place, so often our witness is laid aside because we're focused on whom? Us and not the race that God has called us to. 
Our lives are going to be difficult being witnesses for Jesus Christ. There are going to be times when there's tremendous blessings, but there's going to be times when it's just not fair. And we see Paul and Silas saying, we are still going to witness. This is the race we've been called to, and I'm sitting in this prison for a reason, and it's not about me. It's not about me. Look at verse 22, 25 again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. unfastened. Now think about this. They're in prison. How many prisoners in our modern-day age of prisons, if all the doors were opened in the prison, all the gates were open because they could leave, how many of them would stay? How many of those prisoners would stay in their prison, in their cells? I would say that a majority of them would what? I'm out of here. But we see that the witness of Paul and Silas along with the power of God was so impactful but that not one person left this prison because of the witness of Paul and Silas. And God using that witness in, the, in His power to keep them there. What a tremendous witness this is for us when we lose sight of the race we're running because we are in such pain or when something's being unfair. We need to stay focused on the race. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself in verse 27, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Here we have a man whose life in his eyes was over. Here we have a man who was a Gentile. Here's a man who was probably a retired soldier. It was, he, had, he probably had served the Rome, in the Roman army. And many times those soldiers were placed into other areas of, of Roman society as far as being uh, wardens and, and, and jail uh, men who were, worked in the jails. All right, and here we have this jailer coming before, uh, before Paul and Silas because of their witness, because of, he knew why they were there. He understood what the magistrates had done. He was the one that who would, because Rome was really, really serious about uh, recording why they were there and everything like that. He would have uh, understood the charges against them. And here we have this man who sees the result of their witness, who understands and experiences the result of their witness, who sees that his life has been saved because of their witness, he bows down before them. He says, what must I do to be saved? Paul, Paul and Silas didn't do anything here. This was a work of God again. And look at, look at what uh, Paul and Silas say. Well, what did they say? In verse 29 again, And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Listen to what they said. And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the witness right there on all display, and it wasn't complicated. Do you think that uh, the jailer understood all the theology behind salvation? Do you think the jailer understood about uh, uh, Jesus Christ being man and God at the same time? 
Those things are all important for us to grow and understand in our faith. But here we have just the basic witness of what do I do to be saved? I believe we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross. Period. Can God save somebody with that? We see here, yes, He can. Because He not only saved the jailer, but He also, what? God saved His whole household. And even then, Paul and Silas were blessed because the jailer takes them into their home and, and ministers to them and, and cleans their wounds and feeds them. All because of their witness. We have Lydia, a well-to-do, uh, uh, good citizen who, God, who's wit, who used Paul and Silas' witness to change your life. We have a demon-possessed uh, slave girl whose life was completely changed because of the witness of Paul and Silas. Here we have a jailer whose life and the life of his family is completely changed because of Paul's witness, even in the jail. We need to let these three uh, changed lives encourage us because God can use our witness each and every day to change people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are often so distracted by the world around us, so distracted about what somebody's going to say or what somebody's going to say in the school or in our work or if I'm going to lose this or something's going to happen to me here that we silence the witness that we have been called to give. We are not running the race. And we need to let these three changed lives encourage us that no matter what we experience, no matter what we're doing, no matter what situation we find ourselves in because of the witness of Jesus Christ, that we move forward, we race the race that God has called us to, to be witnesses for Him. That is why we breathe. That is why we live, to be His witnesses. And we often let life get in the way to where we're not doing what God has asked us to do. And we wonder why the people's lives that we are around, we wonder why. We don't have more and more influence in the communities we live is because we are not doing what God has asked us to do, many of us. Because we're scared, because we're tired. And I just want this, these three people, these three life situations to encourage you to go out and run the race that God has allowed us, has asked us to race. I opened up with a cross-country thing and I'm going to close with a cross-country thing here. This is a race of endurance that we're in just like cross country. High schoolers run a 3.1 mile race. It's an average of 20 minutes. All right? Average of 24 minutes. We'll give them a little extra. How many of you know that high schoolers or junior hires really find it difficult to concentrate on doing anything for 24 minutes? Okay? It's hard. And they need along the course people to encourage them. And that's why coaches run like banshees all over the course. We get as much running in as they do because when they're at the mile mark, we have to beat them to the two-mile mark. For what reason? To encourage them. Because just before the two-mile mark, it is, we, this is just part of cross-country, we understand that a whole lot of high schoolers, a whole lot of junior, uh, of junior high racers and high schooler racers, they do what we call go to sleep just before the two-mile mark. They aren't racing anymore. They're just running. They're just trying to plod through it. They're not focused on anything. You kind of see them going this daze. All right? Anybody who's ever run uh, on a race understands this. They can, they can, here, here, they can be, 
I'll use my daughter, okay? And it's not because she did this. She's just, she understands cross country. There can be a person who is running uh, 50 feet in front of her for half a mile. She's not extending the distance. And a racer, like my daughter, not like my daughter, but she raced a lot, and she will understand this. They go, I can't catch up with her. You've been running for a half a mile, 50 feet behind her. You're going the same pace she is. What do they do? They go to sleep. They weren't racing anymore. That, that, she did, that runner in front of her was no longer a goal. The goal was, I just want to stop and be done. In our lives, in our endurance race that God has called us to, there's going to be times when it's just tough, when we're tired, when we just want it to be over, just like those racers. But that's when a coach runs up to them and gets alongside of them and says, Wake up! What's the goal? The next time I see you, I want to see you three people up. I want to see you pass those three people. Because they needed encouragement. They needed to be reminded. Let's let these three people do the same thing for us if we're in that race and we've gone to sleep. Just living day in and day out, waiting for the, the next day to come, and the next, the next uh, work shift to come. Let's let what we see in Acts chapter 16 here to move us forward, to encourage us, to re-engage in the race, to look around and say, who out there needs in my life right now to, for me to, to be a witness for Jesus Christ? I don't care if they've heard it from you 1,500 times. They need to hear it 1,501. Who in my life? And let these three people be like a coach encouraging you saying, my life was changed because Paul and Silas never stopped. My life was changed. We can have the same thing happen in our lives, to have people who for all of eternity will be able to know that God worked through our lives because we were His faithful witnesses no matter what the situation was. Let's stop being timid. Let's stop worrying about what is going to happen if I do this. Let's run the race God has put us in. Bow your heads for just a minute, please. Lord God, it is so easy to let life get in the way. It is so easy to let circumstances and relationships and people get in the way of the race that you've called us to run, the race of being faithful witnesses for you. Lord God, there are so many people outside this room so many people that need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So many people that may have heard it for 15 times or 20 times or 100 times that still need to hear it again. That they need to be reminded about it. Father, help our lives to be a witness. Not just our words, but our priorities giving witness. Our loves and our wants and our desires being witnesses that we love Jesus Christ above everything else. Help our lives to be witnesses. Help our words to be witnesses. Help our families to be witnesses. And Lord God, I pray for every young man and young woman. I pray for every child here that they would at some time come to understand how important their witness is for Jesus Christ. Oh Lord God, I pray that they would understand that there is nothing in this world, there is no, uh, there is, 
no relationship, there is no job worth abandoning being a witness for Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you would protect our youth here and our young children. I pray, Lord God, that sports would not get in the way. I pray, Lord God, hobbies would not get in the way. I pray, Lord God, that the only thing that we would be focused on day in and day out, in our jobs, in our communities, is finding ways to be a witness for you. In Christ's name, amen.